Hello, my name is Michael Albert, and this is episode six of the podcast entitled Revolution Z, Life After Capitalism. First, a brief appeal. If you like what you hear, if you'd like to see it diversify, if you'd like to have it continue and grow, you can help us. You can do that at our Patreon website at www.patreon.com slash revolution Z. Every little bit helps us succeed. Our first five episodes were part of an ongoing sequence about vision. This episode, our sixth, is the first in our sequence emphasizing strategy. It is titled, simply enough, Why Strategy? The Russian anarchist Volin wrote, Incapacity of the masses. What a tool that assertion is for all exploiters and dominators, past, present, and future, and especially for the modern aspiring enslavers, whatever their insignia. Why is the assertion that people lack capacity to create a better world a tool for enslavers? It's because if people believe the assertion, if the assertion were true, they would not have motivation to try hard to create a better world. If it's not possible, or if it's beyond our capacity, then there's no point in working for it. So the, the assertion, the message that the masses are in lack capacity, that people can't do it, is a very powerful tool on behalf of the status quo. This was exactly the assertion of Margaret Thatcher, the British Prime Minister who coined the slogan, There is no alternative, or Teener. Why does the assertion that people lack capacity to create a better world ring true to so many? One reason is because so many lack a vision of what a better world might be. If you don't have a notion of what a better world could be, it seems compelling when somebody says there is no alternative. After all, in your mind, there is no alternative. This is why we have already had five episodes highlighting vision and why we will have many more. A second reason is people's lack of strategy. Here again, if in your mind you can see no path by which to get to a better world, the assertion that it just can't be had rings true. So here is our first episode devoted to issues of strategy for change. Suppose we start very basic at the beginning. One of the first things we learn from any serious teacher about any conflictual game, for example, about chess or football, is that to have a prospect of winning, we must have a plan. Each choice that we make should not be disjointed from all our other choices. Our choices should not be an unplanned reaction, which is almost universally the case for most players' choices in typical examples. But instead, as for really good players, it should be a carefully chosen part of a clear and flexible scenario we have in mind for attaining our desired goal, which is presumably to win hopefully with our integrity intact. If you consider chess or football, and you think about the way an amateur plays it, perhaps you play chess, perhaps you play football, it's, it's a reflexive affair. It, it doesn't involve a, a serious accounting of, of a long-term strategy. A professional player, with a coach no less, does have a, have a long-term strategy and does make choices in the course of an event, a game, or a match, a series of games, uh, in accord with that strategy. 
On the one hand, any contest, be it a chess game, a football match, or a project to win a better world, involves many conflictual moments or brief spans of very active engagement. Each separate set of a few actions or moves are really conclusive. That is the realm of tactics. The separate acts or small sets of acts, the tactical maneuvers, can, however, if thought about carefully and meshed together well, combine in larger whole, which is the realm of strategy. The point is, there are temporary tactics, turning to social struggle, for example. There are strikes, boycotts, marches, rallies, door knocking, organizing, petitions, letters, occupations, insurrections, and so on. And these typically recur in similar situations fairly often, and such tactics are not themselves strategy. Strategy is, instead, a hoped-for pattern of actions, including sought-after gains and broad methods to pursue those gains, which finally culminates in winning your ultimate aims. This could be to win a chess match, a football championship, or a better world. An irony is, strategy for the first two pursuits gets more attention from people giving much of their lives to those endeavors than strategy for social change gets from people who are giving much of our lives to activism. This is really remarkable and yet totally evident. In fact, if you listen to a sports show on the radio where people talk about sports, not only the commentators, but the people who call in have a strategic sense if what they're talking about is, the, for instance, the, the likelihood that a team will win a championship. They, they have a, a sense of many variables and how they fit together and how a path might lead to that championship. But if you listen to activists talk, you don't feel that you're hearing the same thing, especially if you're not really involved. You don't get a feeling that there's a broad, shared strategy that is about going from where one starts to where one hopes to wind up. Here's an example. A candidate goes into New Hampshire to campaign in the primaries. How does the candidate evaluate the success or failure of their activities? How does the public evaluate it? For the most part, it's always thought about in terms of votes in the primary election. There is rarely much attention to the long term, to whether consciousness and commitment have been advanced, to whether new organization and new structures have been created, which will help in the long term. The time horizon is usually short. There is another thing to keep in mind about strategy. It's that it is very rare that strategy remains unchanged from the beginning to the end of an endeavor. It changes as you go along, and you learn, and you react to different circumstances. For one thing, you typically have an opponent and obstacles. And particularly when you're trying to change the world, you also have a very complex context in which you operate. Your opponent, the state, or your employer, or your landlord, or the police, make some changes. That alters your context. Aspects of your strategy may have to alter as well. In trying to change the world, anything and everything might change. The field of struggle, the actors involved, their mindsets, their resources, and even your goals as you attain new insights. In fact, even the rules of struggle can change, including being intentionally changed as part of strategy in the form of your opponents or you altering society's rules, laws, or institutions. The apt slogan, no strategy, no victory, means that if you act pretty much without aim or pattern, 
If you just reflexively react each time your opponent acts without conceiving what you are doing in terms of a plan to steadily improve your situation, you are very likely to lose. So that is our first and arguably simplest, but also very often ignored, strategic insight. I hope you will pardon if I belabor it for just a minute. Let's say we have two sets of people who are committed to battling for liberty. The first group reacts reflexively without plans that extend into the future. It's courageous, it's committed, but it reacts reflexively. The second group develops coherent long-term goals and also formulates about ideas about how to marshal their abilities and energies into patterns that can accrue gains that create sufficient advantages to win those goals. The second group also periodically refines its strategy in light of continually changing circumstances and new lessons. The first set of people without strategy, no matter how courageous and committed, is likely doomed. The second set of people has very good prospects. While I doubt that anyone listening to Revolution Z would disagree with the pretty obvious observation that strategy enhances our likelihood of accomplishing what we desire, nonetheless, very few activists fight injustice with much, or often, even anything, in the way of flexible, shared, guiding, long-term strategy. If you want to travel, it helps to know where you want to go. If you hope to get where you want to go, it helps to have a plan for what vehicle and fuel to use to get there. We need vision, which is insight into where we want to go, which is already one strand of focus of Revolution Z. But we also need strategy, which will henceforth be a second strand of focus of Revolution Z. A next basic point. If one side in a contest is a virtual behemoth compared to the other side, the former is unlikely to ever have to make a new plan. He can be an idiot or just unconcerned, paying no attention, reacting reflexively, and nonetheless win. Roger Federer against you at tennis. Magnus Carlsen against me at chess. They win even if they are half asleep, daydreaming, and have no strategic plan at all. In more realistic situations, however, and especially in trying to win a better world, things are far more complex, and strategy is far more important. The most basic elements of social strategy, such as who to reach out to and organize, what broad focuses to have, and many other aspects that we will explore soon, might go pretty much unaltered over time. Not least, when the forces seeking to block winning a new world engage in surprising choices. Suppose we have an inflexible strategy. In that case, if we make a mistake at the outset, we lose, since being inflexible means we are stuck with our error. Similarly, if we have an inflexible strategy, we lose if the forces arrayed against us behave dramatically differently than anticipated, since we will be stuck with a conception that no longer works. Likewise, if we have an inflexible strategy, if we suffer an unexpected setback or enjoy an unexpected success, again, we will be stuck with a plan that no longer fits our new reality. Having a flexible, shared, sensible strategy opens the possibility of victory. Not having a flexible, sensible strategy pretty much closes that possibility, unless our advantages are so overwhelming that we can't do enough wrong to lose. Inflexible strategy means no victory. So we not only need a long-term strategy, we need a flexible long-term strategy. Another basic point. It is perhaps easiest to think of strategy as a flexible conception of how to go from one condition or situation to another. Strategy takes off from a flexible conception of current conditions, later updated as times change. 
Strategy ends with reaching the conditions we are seeking to win, our vision of a better world. Strategy mainly involves amassing support and tools for seeking change and utilizing them to win change. A key component is, for example, increasing the numbers of people on the side of winning change and strengthening their abilities to fight for it. We can't alter society without involving people in sufficient numbers. We can call this consciousness raising and commitment building. The issues central to consciousness raising and commitment building are which people to attract and how to retain and enlarge those people's informed and sustained commitment. Consciousness raising and commitment building involves outreach to various audiences. It involves addressing the reasons why people resist relating. It involves strengthening people's understanding of the aims and methods of social change so that they can become full participants. It involves enriching and sustaining their involvement and growing their commitment. At the outset of a campaign to win a new society, consciousness raising and commitment building is foremost. It is not the sole initial priority, but is certainly the dominant one, since it creates a foundation of support necessary for all future efforts. When we're just getting started, we can't really win much, we can't really build much. What we really need to do is get more people involved and active. Additionally, consciousness raising and commitment building remains an important focus right up to and even through the time of winning a new society. It turns out the, con the foundation of popular support for the new society must be continually strengthened, lest it be depleted. So while initially consciousness raising and commitment building is the core of strategy, as time passes, consciousness raising and commitment building persists, but it becomes less central. So what grows in relative importance? Once there is sufficient support for change to marshal energies and resources to begin winning some victories, then fighting for and winning those victories becomes another element of strategy. Contestation over demand steadily climbs in importance. It becomes a central aspect of the process. It contributes to and always also needs further growth in support and commitment, even as the victories regarding demands alter existing relations to the advantage of change. This contestation may involve marches, demands, boycotts, electoral projects, civil disobedience, strikes, occupations, and much more. It becomes effective when sufficient consciousness and commitment exists to sustain it. It grows in importance, winning gains that help people, but that also strategically pave the way for seeking and winning more gains. Alongside contestation, however, there is in time also construction. That is, Movements not only fight for victories, including contesting opponents who want to ward off change, they also construct new relationships and, when possible, new institutions of their own that enhance both consciousness raising and contestation, and that also lay the groundwork for the structure of a new society. Thus, as part of winning a better world, movements construct organization locally and globally, and also new projects. They may create councils in their workplaces and neighborhoods, tenants, unions, their own food co-ops, daycare centers. They may create schools and more. They begin to create seeds of the future in the present. They do this both to involve and benefit folks immediately, and they do it also to test and refine visionary ideas. We can call this construction. Taking this view, we see that strategy includes three primarily mutually supporting and mutually interdependent aspects. Each is always operative, but each is also altering in their centrality as time passes. 
First, consciousness raising and commitment building is paramount. Reaching out, raising awareness, building ties. Even while in the early stages there, are, there is also some contestation and perhaps even some construction. In a second stage, consciousness raising continues and construction keeps growing. But contestation, fights for immediate material or social gains become the most central and dominant aspect. Finally, while both consciousness raising and contestation continue, as one gets steadily closer to winning a new society, construction becomes steadily more central. It finally becomes most important in the literal creation of the core institutions of the new society, no longer only within the interstices of the old and no longer only as beachheads and inspiring models, but literally as the infrastructure of the new world. It follows that while strategy can be seen as it most often is, and as we described earlier, as a path composed of combinations of, of tactical steps plus larger-scale programs, it can also be seen as a set of preferred conceptions bearing on consciousness-raising and commitment-building, contestation, and construction. Indeed, in coming in episodes of Revolution Z, interspersed with those featuring vision, we will also have a sequence of episodes featuring strategy and hopefully arriving at a flexible, viable strategic conception addressing the components and contours of consciousness raising, contestation, and construction. But for now, hoping you will take a moment to consider supporting Revolution Z by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash revolutionz and by then using Patreon to message me with advice, suggestions, and or questions. This is Michael Albert, signing off until next time.